Hello and welcome to Joko Yo. In the 1760s and 1770s, many white North Carolinians were happy to be loyal English subjects, and if they weren't exactly happy about it, nothing really made them mad enough to rebel against the British North Carolina government, except, you know, a few times. The Stoner Rebellion of enslaved people in South Carolina, just south of the North Carolina border, understandable as it was, alarmed North Carolina slave owners so much in 1739 that the North Carolina legislature, mostly made up of slaveholders, passed laws that either prohibited or severely restricted the right of enslaved people to carry guns. They already couldn't actually own them, according to colonial North Carolina law. And then the legislature in 1741 made it illegal for any person that is enslaved to become freed by their slave owner, except for a very few extreme situations. There had also been the Cary Rebellion, which historians like to say was about, sort of, religious rights between the Church of England and a quickly increasing Quaker population. But it was really a power struggle between old settled populations and newer arrivals in 1711. That particular rebellion was very small, less than 200 or so people were actually involved. It was essentially between two governors and a cannon and only really in Bath County. Something closer to the ideals of the revolution before 1770, but not exact, was the Culpeper Rebellion in 1677, which happened because people were really unhappy about the navigation acts that England passed, banning trade between English North Carolina colonists with other colonies, English as well as Spanish, French, and Dutch. There had been Gibbs Rebellion, which was sort of like Carey's Rebellion, in that it really only concerned a handful of people. One, it was in one basic place and dealt with who was actually in charge. But it was the Regulator Movement, some call it the Regulator War, that completely rocked relations between nearly all colonists, East versus West, Rich versus Poor, and colonists versus the royal government. Just as important as the battles and the acts of rebellion was the psychological effect of a sort of uh, an, an identity crisis almost. Many North Carolinians, especially native North Carolinians in positions of authority like our John Hinton and his brother William, had to decide just who they were. John was essentially at the head of all of the new Wake County government when the county was formed, mostly in order to help put down the regulator movement. He had been appointed a colonel by the Royal North Carolina government and reported to Royal, government, Royal Governor William Tryon, and he was counted upon to put down this rebellion of fellow North Carolinians versus the Royal government, who he was loyal to. And while there's no evidence that John had a problem with sentencing people he saw as traitors and rebels, he did have a problem with the fact that 
Instead of riding out with trying to put down the rebellion, he was told to stay in place back in the newly formed Wake County, rounding up men to serve, if necessary, going to their houses and arresting them if they did not report to muster regardless of reason, regardless of reason, and enforcing the payment of taxes and penalties if men showed up to muster without their own rifles. That he had a problem with. And in either case, if you were unwilling or just unable to show up for service regardless of reason, and with your own firearm regardless of reason, you faced a penalty, which was typically monetary, and if you couldn't pay, your livestock was seized. That's food. And if you didn't have livestock, your land was seized. And if you didn't have land, it was to jail you went, again, regardless of reason. And the reason you were being called into service was to go to battle and shoot at, in some cases, your neighbors and maybe even your family. And John Hinton, that was his job. That was he, the job that he was given by Governor Tryon. John Hinton knew some of the guys rebelling, and he was the one who had to sentence them potentially to poverty or jail when the problem, the rebellion, would probably have been unnecessary if the colonial British government had, at minimum, been responsive to the concerns of the Westerners. But the colonial government for years had, at best, failed to hear their concerns, and at worst, had not only refused their requests, but had taken action to intentionally make situations worse for the Westerners. It was the last straw for them when Governor Tryon demanded they pay taxes for Governor's Mansion that they would never see and punish them when they didn't, when they had been begging for government help and representation close to them for years. And this was the exact opposite. Now, the government or the argument could be said that the British government could simply not afford the services necessary to keep up with exponential growth. Heard that one before. Because, you know, people in Central North Carolina today wouldn't know anything about that, would they? As a friend of some of the regulators, or at least an, an acquaintance, and as the judge tasked with prosecuting people who couldn't pay or wouldn't pay for this suppression of a rebellion, well, this didn't exactly sit right with Colonel Hinton. Neither did seizing their property, but he did his job. The regulator conflict ended, and he got on with trying to find a site for a Wake County courthouse. More on that later. Again, it still didn't sit well with him. Neither did the news of a Boston massacre that occurred one year before the regulators in Massachusetts. Two years afterward, he and other North Carolinians heard about a tea party in Boston, his heart was starting to be a little, I don't know, maybe a lot, resentful. Starting to wonder if he had been on the wrong side. His sons-in-law, Joel Lane and Theophilus Hunter, as well as his own sons, they began to wonder the same thing. It had to have been a bad emotional and mental place to be. So when colonists from the Massachusetts legislature called for a meeting of representatives 
from the legislatures of the other English colonies as a result of the intolerable acts, John's, Joel's, and Theo's interests, well, they were piqued. Massachusetts colonists insisted that if the British would be willing and able to put that colony under martial law for something as small as dumping tea in a harbor, imagine what they would do in retaliation for something bigger like resisting arrest or resisting the seizure of property. John Hinton knew about that well. He had seen a preview in a way that few other people in all the colonies had seen. As a result, he felt obligated to attend to tell his story and prevent a regulator conflict, or worse, from happening again in other places. He felt obligated. When the Massachusetts legislature asked for an assembly of all colonial legislatures to meet in Philadelphia, John Hinton and his sons-in-law were ready to go. But there was a new governor in North Carolina. New Governor Josiah Martin, he refused to let members of the North Carolina legislature meet to even consider the request to meet. And during the colonial period, legislatures could only convene if the governor called it to convene. John Hinton, by all accounts, thought it would be good to meet not to start a war, but to prevent one. He could help in a way that few others could, and Governor Martin refused to let them even consider the offer. And since Martin would not let them convene to select members to represent North Carolina at the meeting in Philadelphia, well, the members of the North Carolina legislature created a new assembly, the North Carolina Provincial Congress, a move that Hinton saw as exceedingly dangerous at first, but necessary later. Hinton, as a result, did not attend. It was dangerous. So no one was there to represent the three-year-old Wake County at this meeting in New Bern. Representatives chose three people to attend the Philadelphia meeting, voted to boycott British goods until British Parliament listened to their concerns, asked for representatives from every county to meet again and to raise 20 pounds for the administration of and sending representatives from a government of North Carolina without Josiah Martin as governor, and to affirm that they still love Britain and they still love the king. They just wanted to be heard. That's what their goal was. Now, John Hinton had a chance, had a choice as a member of the government of the county of Wake. He could choose to not boycott British goods. He could choose not to send a representative from Wake, and he could choose to not collect 20 pounds of Wake tax money. But not only did he follow suit with the boycott, he also paid Wake's 20 pounds out of his pocket and chose to become himself one of Wake's representatives to the Second Provincial Congress. John Hinton had found out who he was. And thanks for listening. Until next time, y'all be good.